welcome everybody to our uh, latest edition of our podcast today. My esteemed guest today, my old buddy, Abram Finkelstein of Stafflink. Is it Stafflink, a prestige company? What's the full? Uh, what's the full? It, it is Stafflink Outsourcing, a prestige PEO company. Man, okay. Stafflink Outsourcing, a prestige PEO company. How'd I do? Is it good? You, you did well. It looks terrible on letterhead though. I mean, seriously, it just <laughs> looks really goofy. It's a lot. It's a lot of words. It's great. It's, uh, so it's welcome. A lot of words. Thanks for being with us today. Well, th- I thank you for having me. I mean, I thought that uh, by now you'd be sick of talking to me, but it's it's kind of exciting to talk to you in this format. I I am, but I needed uh, I needed content for the show, so I was <laughs> how, to, how to do that, which is it. So, so uh, the the bottom of the barrel has finally been scraped. Yes, huh? this is what it, this is what it sounds like exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I always start at the beginning, and I think I know the answer to this. So a humble beginnings. We're going to talk about Abram, and then we're going to talk about the uh, about the industry. You start in the industry. We start with you, and I think it starts in San Antonio. Am I right? Uh, were you talking about the, the very beginning of Abram? The blessed event, yeah. Yeah, no, that's Laredo, Texas. How did I not know this? I thought San Antonio. How Laredo? The streets of Laredo. They wrote a song. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom is from Laredo, Texas. And my dad had gone to uh, Vietnam. And uh, so we were hanging out in Laredo. Um, actually, my dad left for Vietnam about eight days after I was born. So that's, I was born in the Laredo Air Force Base, as a matter of fact. Wow. Okay. So uh, how long was he in Vietnam? Was he did his 11 months or what? He... Uh, yeah, he did his year and uh, came back. Good Lord, man. Um, what, uh, so then you moved to San Antonio. Then we moved to San Antonio for a short period of time. Then we went to Lakewood, New Jersey. How did I not know this? I'm basically a Jersey boy. Oh, it's New Jersey roots. This you see, all roads lead to New Jersey. This is fantastic. <laughs> At the end of the day, we all spent some time in Jersey, kind of like prison. Yeah. Uh, then back to San Antonio, then Italy. I was in Vicenza, Italy for three years. And uh, Denver, Colorado, then back to San Antonio and finished up San Antonio t- until college. So were you in Lakewood, New Jersey, when the Hindenburg crashed, or was that uh, after your time? Very shortly after I left, <laughs> very shortly. I, I think maybe the next day. <laughs> okay, so you uh, in San Antonio, and then oh, so where'd you go to high school with that in that litany? Thomas C. Clark High School in San Antonio, Texas. Wow, so you were back in San Antonio by high school. Uh, right. And were you, did, was your dad still in the military, or did he get out by then? He retired, I think, my either late in my freshman year or my sophomore year in high school. Okay. All right. So you stayed there for high school and then college. And then college at the University of Texas in Austin. Unbelievable. Uh, what did yes. you major in? I don't know. Uh, well, I, I uh, majored in pledging, and uh, <laughs> uh, I was an accounting major, uh, business administration accounting. Okay. So... Uh, yeah, so we get so after that, so right after graduation, when you went, what did you end up doing? Uh, I ended up coming to. That's how I got to South Florida. I I uh, I had applied for law school to five or I think six law schools, most in Texas uh, and and the University of Miami, and 
uh, University of Miami was gracious enough to invite me to uh, to attend. Wow. So I packed up my bags and into my my little green Scirocco and and drove to uh, <laughs> drove to Miami. But so you went right from college to law school. I, I straight straight through. Yes, yeah, straight I, shot. I yeah. But did you have uh, Florida ties, or was that just random that, that you applied to U of Miami? My sister, who uh, also went to University of Texas, m- uh, married somebody who went to UM Law School. And she lived in Boca Raton. Mm-hmm. So that was my, my thought was, I'll get out of Texas for a few years, go to law school, go back to Texas and, you know, practice law in Texas. That was that was the plan. How'd that plan work out? Yeah, not so good. I'm still sitting here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So. <laughs> so what happened? So after law school, yeah, so then then take me from law school to the PEO industry. What was that like a? A week or 10 years? What was that? How'd that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I practiced law at a small firm in Boca Raton, Florida, and uh, it, was a, it was four partners and me. Mm-hmm. And I used to like to say it was where great legal careers went to die. <laughs> and I was I, I was kind of like the sole associate to these four uh, attorneys, and, and they didn't have like extreme high level work for me to do. So I kind of felt like a paralegal. But I did get some interesting exposures, some corporate work, some uh, labor and employment, some commercial litigation. And um, while I was there, I met somebody who introduced me to the concept of employee leasing. I'd never heard of it. I had no idea. I couldn't. I didn't know what FICA was, FUDA, none of that stuff. I didn't know workers' comp was a thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he, he introduced me to the idea of it, said that uh, he was considering starting a company. And with my legal and accounting background, I would be a... a, a ideal candidate to help run operations. He and his son were going to run sales. And uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in joining on. And I, and I said, well, I don't want to work for you, but I wouldn't mind being your partner. <laughs> and that's how I <laughs> ended up in the, in the PEO industry. But how long, how many years out of law school was that? I was just, just over a year out of law school, wow. a year and a half, a year and a few months. So that was pretty... And, Ballsy to say, like, no, I don't want to work for you, but I'll be your partner. Yeah. Well, you know, it was it was it was a fairly traumatic uh, thing for me to to give up the legal career. You know, it's like I've spent the last four years planning it, the last three years working for it. And and now I'm going to go do something that has nothing to do with the law. I mean, there's a little bit here and there. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and, and they weren't paying me big money. So it's not like it was a, a huge step up. So the only upside that I could see, the only thing that would justify my doing it in my mind was if I was a, a partner or a, yeah. a part of it, part owner. So were they just getting started or were they ongoing? Yeah, they they had not started at all. Um, so I was there from the ground up and we weren't even sure we were going to be a PEO at first. They were very much in the construction business. It was uh, a, 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 compl- a complete workers' comp and a paycheck kind of, mm-hmm. of operation. Um, so we, we did, for a very short period of time, uh, think about just being a, a, a construction subcontractor. 
And I, I, I did some research and I said, yeah, that's not going to fly. We, if we want to do this, we need to be a PEO or an employee leasing company. We need to get licensed under the statute. And we did. And, um, you know, we actually grew quite a bit. Uh, I was there for about three years. We grew to over 13, 1400 worksite employees Jeez. in a couple of years. Um, we were making great money. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was, and, and obviously we had, we were still mostly blue collar, but we, mm-hmm. we had expanded to other types of industries as well. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was fun. It was a, it was a fun uh, couple of years. So what's, so when did you decide to leave there? And so you, you went to Staff Link right after that, or did you go someplace in between? No, no. Um, so, uh, Staff Link, I left them in 97, beginning of 97. Yeah, spring of 97 and started Staff Link. Uh, Gosh, 90, also in 97, but toward the end of 97. That's when I got licensed, the very end of 97. By the way, but you were, you're married and had kids at that point or not yet? Married, no kids. Okay. Because I said, I, I talked to uh, Brent Tilson about this to also say it's pretty audacious to just go start your own thing. Like when you, you're someplace and you've got presumably a paycheck after three years, you know, people tend to get yeah. wed to that. So, yeah, what makes you do that? that that's a, an audacious move, right? To all of a sudden say, like, uh, okay, uh, Sam, it's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to go roll the dice someplace where I might make it, I might not. So, yeah, well, uh, talk to me about that. That's that's the entrepreneurial spirit. So what what drives that? What are you not? Yeah, it's really interesting. I have never, ever considered myself an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't really feel like I'm a risk taker, but yet. I guess I am because yeah. I certainly did that. I think there was probably some level of naivete, <laughs> some level of arrogance, because I used to be very frustrated with my 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 uh, former partners, and I used to say to myself a lot. I had an hour commute between my house and, and mm. the office, and every day I would I would say to myself, you know, if they would only allow me to do these things, I think mm-hmm. we could be a much better company. Mm-hmm. And when we decided to part company, I said, okay, Mr. Smart Guy, here's your here's your chance, you know, put up or shut up. Yeah. I did. Um, so I had about a six month period there where I was considering working for another PEO. Mm-hmm. I was considering um I actually um interviewed and and went pretty far along with CNA Unisource. Um, and I'm pretty grateful that they, <laughs> that they didn't hire me. <laughs> but, uh, um, and, and I also, you know, talked to a couple of law firms. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I wanted to give it a shot. I just wanted to say, you know, I've got this other vision. I think the industry is going in a different direction. And I... I I don't know. I just have this weird feeling that that there's a place for a, a local small PEO that's focused on the clients and, you know, that you know, no intention to be this monster company or, or, you know, huge growth. I'm looking for more relationship driven um, type of clients. So that's that's kind of what my driver was. So, but like you said, started. You started from a standing stop, or did you bring some clients with you? No, no, no. I brought nobody. So, what was that, what was that like? When did you get the <laughs> first employees? And 
How long did it take to get rolling? So I got licensed the end of 97. I didn't have my first client until probably four or five months later. And it was a pretty small client that I was basically doing for free. <laughs> um, and I would spend most of my days trying to sell. And I would spend the evenings running. I would run payroll. Then I would do the accounting. Um I spent most of my startup capital on software. Uh, so yeah, I was I was uh, the chief cook and bottle washer for a lot of months. And um, what had happened was I became friendly with a family that worked out at the same gym that I did. And they had a pretty big company, about 90 employees. And I started talking to them. Um, and... It took months and months and months and months. And I was like on their doorstep almost every day. Begging was not beneath me. At that point, it was <laughs> it was actually you know my primary sales technique. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they eventually uh, came with me. And that kind of gave me the cash flow I needed to start hiring a couple of people to take some of the load off of me. And, and I just went out and I... I I got in front of whoever would listen to me and just started mm -hmm. talking about what I did. And, you know, <laughs> before I, I will never forget within like six months or so looking at this computer, my computer screen and, and my, my client list finally took up a whole screen. <laughs> and I was like, I've made Victory. it. <laughs> Victory. <laughs> yep. True story. That's so great. Victory was yours. That's great. So how long did it take to start getting some traction? About a year, a little over a year. Mm -hmm. And then um, things accelerated because I had a um, good friend who uh, did technology for a pretty big uh, manufacturing company. And he they were in very serious issues with HR. I mean, they were just kind of a mess. Mm -hmm. So he brought me in. And um, I, that was the quickest deal I ever signed up. I literally one meeting and they were like, let's go. How fast can you get it going on? So that really um, put me in hyperdrive. One, just managing that account. And two, the cash flow that it provided really helped me to, to um, you know, hire some salespeople. And, yeah. and then I would say year two, we actually had pretty good growth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, uh yeah, and and you were you do sales calls, right? Oh and yeah, you were doing the sales calls, right? So yeah, how indeed. do you sell? How do you sell PEO? How do I sell it, or how do other people sell it? Well, how do you sell it? Because you had some success. So how do you sell it? Um, I'm very much a relationship buyer, and I'm also a relationship seller. So I'm looking for people that are interested in um, having a partner. And I really try to sell the concept of, of being a business partner with my clients. Having said that, I, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't sold some deals on on on, on pricing alone. <laughs> <laughs> there have been plenty of those as well. Yeah. But, you know, I really do sit down with people. I try to understand. I like spending a lot more time listening to people mm -hmm. than talking. Mm -hmm. And then asking them about what their issues are, asking them, um, you know, what their goals are, and then trying to um, create a solution that works for them. Mm -hmm. And and then and by the way, here's the budget for it. If you're you know if you don't have the budget for it, then yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not the right fit. Yeah. So that that's 
I really focus on the consultative sale. Yeah. That's what I try to do. And that's what we try to do at StaffLink. Because at the end of the day, you know, payroll is going to go to the lowest bidder. <laughs> right. It seems to me, right? Yeah. And, and Pete, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, Florida is very much the the sort of race to the bottom on pricing. Yeah. And while I, I certainly get involved in that because I have clients approach me and say, hey, so-and-so company is you know willing to do this for a lot less than you do. Um, you try to reiterate the value proposition, but very often it's like, well, that's great, but you know, we don't use that and we don't use this. And we, you know, listen, you know, a thousand bucks is a thousand or three thousand dollars is three thousand dollars. And you're kind of forced, you know, if you want to keep the revenue to to get involved in that. Um, but when you start with that, yeah. Then you've just defined the terms of, of your of your service, yeah. right? My my service is based on on cost savings, and the second somebody else comes out there, yeah. then you know you're going to leave. Yeah, Pearl so, Berg always says, "Those who come on price leave on price." Uh, every time, a hundred percent of the time, Mister Pearlberg is a wise, wise man. <laughs> so eventually, uh, after running uh, uh, Staffling Outsourcing for many years. You decided to sell. So what? I did. What brings you to that? And I, I know, uh, you know, that everybody. Uh, I talked to a group the other day that was looking to buy, and I said I hear from twenty buyers a week, and I don't know if I've ever heard from a seller in twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> I can so tell you, as a matter you, of fact, that's what's going on. Right. I know you heard from a lot of buyers. So what's that process like to come to the decision that I think I'm going to sell? Because there are a ton of people out there who are, are holding firm, who aren't selling, right? Uh, yeah. So deciding to sell and deciding to who, who to sell to, what's that process like? What was it like for you? It was about an eight or nine year process for me. Um, there were I was approached by a lot of different companies over the years. Mm -hmm. And... During that period of time, I developed a series of criteria that were important to me if I were to consider a, a transaction. Mm -hmm. And those criteria were obviously the purchase price had to be significant enough that, that um, I could live my lifestyle mm -hmm. without having to, you know, to uh, you know, dig into the to the principle of, of what mm -hmm. I'd earned. Uh, number two was that I, a second bite at the apple was very important to me. I wanted to be part of a growing company. Mm -hmm. Three is I wanted a meaningful and important role with that company. Um, four, I wanted my key people to be taken care of. And 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 five, and and I don't put this last because it's the least important. Um, the culture has to be the right fit. Yeah, I have to feel like I'm in a place where I want to be. Mm -hmm. So, and that took a lot of years for me to sort of gel that you know that that framework. But yeah. I did eventually. And then every deal that I looked at, I would put up against that framework and say, mm -hmm. "Okay, does it accomplish all of these things?" And um, the numbers for a lot of years didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand why I would sell my business for that amount of money. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and when the numbers did start to make sense, then all those other 
those other criteria came into play. And when it, at the same time, I was having trouble busting through, I, you know, I think I was at about 4,000 worksite employees, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, really feeling like I was, I was struggling with the fact that I had um, really, really good people, but they had their limitations as to what they could do, mm-hmm. which kept me very tied to the operation of the business. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we just couldn't get that level of growth that, you know, that that would mm-hmm. punch me through to the next level. Yeah. So I thought, you know, maybe it's time to to consider um, being part of something bigger with with more, you know, rocket fuel that could mm-hmm. that could help, you know, help me achieve my goals. Yeah. And when all those things came together, um, it that's what the driver was. I looked at a couple of deals very, very closely. I was very close on one. Um, and there were just a couple of things that weren't quite right where I was kind of trying to make that fit my mold. And uh, and that's why I ended up doing the deal that I did. Yeah. So what was about Prestige that did it? In spite of Andy Lubash. I mean, this is the thing. Yeah, right? like, yeah hey. exactly. Um <laughs> Oh, I'm going to catch so much flack for that. <laughs> but yeah, for, for sure. Despite Andy Lubash, I decided not. Andy and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the two companies, there is a lot of similarity in how we approach client service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got to the same place. We got there from different starts, mm-hmm. but we got to the kind of the same place. Um the role that they had in mind for me was exciting to me. Um, and we were all aligned on what our, on what our long-term goals were. I loved the private equity group. I thought they were mm-hmm. really terrific. Uh, and I, I, I still think they're terrific. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they were just really flexible, easy to work with. Um, and I didn't think, uh, I, I knew that that would not be the case for some other groups. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the the primary thing, just the level of comfort um, with uh, Andy, with the people that that yeah. are at Prestige, and with the private equity guys. Yeah, but it's interesting. So you said it really was, at least in terms of your wheels turning, eight or nine years. Oh yeah! Wow! Absolutely, absolutely. And I came, you know, I came really close in a couple of times, and then felt really bad going, you know. I just, I just am not feeling it. I'm just not ready, you know? And and that's the one thing I would tell you, because you you mentioned, you know, there aren't a whole lot of sellers out there right now. A lot of people are holding firm. If you're not a hundred percent ready to do this, don't do it because it is a culture shock. It is, it takes time to um, come to the realization that, you're not you're not the boss anymore yeah it's not yeah. your company anymore yeah and um it that that's that's a difficult thing sometimes yeah yeah but uh, yeah and i i can appreciate it I mean, it seems that way i hear that a lot but I, I back to your earlier point uh you know i've heard so many people talk about i remember one person telling me that you know somebody came in and offered just like insane money for their company and it's like, why didn't you take it? He's like, 
because they were like the biggest jerks we had ever met in our lives. It's like, yeah, but the money was insane. And this guy told me, like, I didn't care. Like, these are not people I wanted to deal with or do business with, period. That's, right. That's so a, that is a thing, right? Like you said, it was an eight-year process, nine-year process. You met a lot of people, you kissed a lot of frogs along the way, where you're just yeah. like you, the money wasn't right, or they weren't people you wanted to do business with, right? That's it. That's it. And um yeah, I mean, there are lots of people out there that um, I mean, you're you're you become these people's partners. Do you want to be partners with this particular group of people? Is the question you have to ask yourself. Yep. 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 Exactly right. Okay. So you still do sales calls. You're still operating uh staffling outsourcing. Um, you've got uh, as I always say, you swing a dead cat in Florida, you're gonna hit a PEO. So you've got a little different. Uh, you know, issue than uh, a lot of other PEOs have because you've got uh, a lot of competition. Uh, I always ask this question, what's your better mousetrap? You go out and talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I've talked to uh, 35 PEOs this week alone that want my business, you know? Um, what is, what, what do you bring to the table? Why why should they go with staff like outsource? That is an absolutely fantastic question. And it's so funny because I start by saying, first of all, every PEO you talk to is going to say, tell you the same thing. <laughs> but not all PEOs are created equal. Mm -hmm. And we all have different business models. That doesn't make some better or worse than any others. It, it's yeah. just different. Yeah. And I, I need to make sure that I'm the right fit for you and you need to make sure I'm the right fit for you. So here's my approach to how I do business. First of all, I don't have any kind of uh, voicemail, phone mail system. There's a live body that answers the phone every single time you call. You're gonna, they're gonna know a little bit about you. You're gonna know a little bit about them. You're gonna have a dedicated team that you're also gonna know, and you're going to have someone to call. You're gonna that pretty much on any issue that you that you have. Or somebody that's that that whose name you know that is going to return your email, return your phone calls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our model is that we we have a dedicated team. It's a white glove, high touch client service model. That's the difference. If you're looking for the model where you know you're going to go to one eight one eight hundred number, somebody's going to pick it up and look in the computer, and or everything's online. That's not us. But if you're looking for somebody who's going to be there when you actually need them, that's us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. And it's worked. Clearly, it's worked. You're doing something right. You know, what, <laughs> um, okay. So, what's the state of the industry and what's the outlook for the industry? You know, I, you know me to be. Some people would say a pessimist. Others would say a realist. <laughs> you, you, and I are kept, Come on. you and I are kept from the same cloth. <laughs> we trust but verify. Mm -hmm. I, I see only positive things for the PEO industry. I don't see, you know, I see, the, I see little things that are obstacles. I, since the 90s, I've always had the um the perspective that we're our own worst enemies mm -hmm. that if we if the if the if the industry gets destroyed it's going to get destroyed from inside because we've so devalued what we do mm -hmm. 
that we've trained our clients um, to expect decreasing rates over a period of time mm-hmm. or to use us as uh, as a way of, of getting rid of bad risk mm-hmm. or things like that. And there's still some of that happening. And there's still a lot of, of um, movement within the uh, the PEO industry of clients. That's an unhealthy thing. Um, however, we're also still growing brand new clients in the PEO space. Yeah. And the industry continues to grow. And I think we get better yeah. for the most part as we go. The technology is still too far behind, but mm-hmm. it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And I drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago, but I don't think there's any better way uh, to run your small to mid-sized business than with a PEO. If somebody came to me, and let's say I was running the Abram Finkelstein uh, law firm, and my 10 or 12 employees, and they came to me and said, hey, for 10 grand a year, I'll do your payroll for you. I'll make sure you're covered for workers' comp. I'm going to take care of all your employee benefits. Bits, not just providing them to you, but the administrative burden of them. And, um, and oh, by the way, I'll do HR for you when you need it to. And you have my technology. That's a no brainer to me. So if that message, we just got to keep driving that message home. And I, I think I, I see my outlook of the PEO industry is great. I think we're in great shape now. I love to see the new entrants coming in. Mm-hmm. I think that that provides fresh blood is fantastic for the industry. Mm-hmm. And I I think that I think that we we have a ton of market share still available. Yeah. You know, people talk about technology um as being a a, a potential um uh, disruptor to the industry. And I think there's there's a lot of truth to that, but we've lost a couple of clients to some of the bigger platforms. Mm-hmm. And the feedback we get back from them is we wish we'd known mm-hmm. what we didn't know mm-hmm. because we get no support. We, it, we basically have to do it ourselves mm-hmm. and we still don't have any of the HR stuff that you guys used to do for us. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, I think that there's a place for that technology. Yeah, yeah. But but I still think there's always going to be a place for the for the PEO industry because there are going to be clients who just yeah. believe, hey, I, you're better at that than me. You do that. Let me do what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the platforms, uh, you, I think you know, I derisively call them HR without the H. <laughs> exactly. Right? They're no humans. It's like but, okay, but they, it's got its limitations. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, you, know, you mentioned law firms. Obviously, the massive law firms have an HR department. But like, to your point, with the small law firms, you know, we always try to make the point, you know, in selling PEO that that you know, uh, time is money. You know, and like, not everybody gets it. But you would think that lawyers, right? Lawyers, especially like a like a twenty lawyer firm or ten or ten lawyer firm, more than anybody would get. Like, if you're the managing partner. Every hour you spend on this, just think about writing a check for whatever your hourly rate is, right? It just would seem, especially for law firms, like this is where they ought to go, right? It's just many of them, but they don't. They don't well, no, that's that's actually so. When I first started Staffling, my business plan was to go 
was to go after primarily lawyers and, and doctor's offices. Mm-hmm. And that lasted exactly 15 minutes before I decided that's a really bad idea. <laughs> it's 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 fascinating to me. What I'm what I've found is that I don't care what business you're in, you're no better or worse a PEO client because of what you do. It's a hundred percent the mindset of the owner. Yeah. You could just as easily be a contractor with the mindset that I don't want to deal with this stuff. I'm chasing money all day. Yeah. I've got to get yeah. plans done. I've got to go. I don't have time to do this. It's it's great if I can if I can pay you to do it. Yeah. Um as much as a lawyer who has the same mindset. And then there are going to be those doctors, lawyers, and construction people who if I'm not saving money, I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and those are the guys that I leave to other PEOs. Yeah, you're right. And I'm looking for the guys who's like, you know what? I just want you to do this for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Take this off my plate. And I'm yeah. happy to pay you. Yeah, exactly. What? Um, okay. So I look for the industry. I happen to agree, but I'm biased, but it's bias based on data, you know, uh, from what yeah. I see. Uh, what are the headwinds? What are the challenges? What, what should this industry be looking out for or uh, watching out for? I want to be, uh, you know, I want to make absolutely sure that we don't become the HR without the H. Because mm. there are some companies that are doing that. Um, and look, I guess they have their their audiences and that's great. But, you know, that's that's something that's near and dear to my heart. And I still think we spend way too much time going after each other's business based solely on cost savings. Amen. Um, let, let's go out there and 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 grow the field, not not start carving out each other's books of business. Yeah. Amen. Um, and, you know, Lee, I think Lee often actually uh, said that 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 he didn't pay a commission if a salesperson brought in a client from another PEO, which pretty much shuts off that spigot, right? Yep. And I've said a thousand times on this, that, you know, we've got 15% of the 10 to 100 employee market, 15%. So before wow. we, we got 85% to go before we can saturate the 10 to 100 market, that's before you start cracking the 100 to 500, right? So I agree with you, like, why on earth? And I know it's laziness in a sense. I don't have to explain to you what a PEO is because you've already got one. I'm just going to undercut them. And at the end of the day, it's a fool's game. It brings everybody down, right? Exactly. It's very much my belief. One other thing, it's much easier to get someone to talk to you when they're mm-hmm. already using a PEO because yeah. they want to see, eh, am I paying too much? Yeah. So it's easy to get them to talk to you and it's very easy for them to, to do a proposal. So let me switch gears a little bit is that, uh, you know, you uh, are busy, you run a company and you do a lot of other stuff, which we'll get into here in just a minute. Um, Why get involved in Napio? You could have been perfectly happy on the sidelines. I think you spent time on the sidelines in the soccer field, I believe, right? Uh, Coaching. I did. I did. Uh, You know, you have been so involved with us to our great benefit and been chair. Uh, of course, and uh, Fapio and every place else. Why? Why? Why not just take that free time and, you know, uh, take up golf or heroin or something like that? (laughs) Well, who says I haven't? And I'm going to let you guess which. (laughs) Um, So taking you back to 1994, um, when I was uh, starting that other company, and I had made the decision that we needed to be 
uh, a, a uh, an employee leasing company. I made an appointment with a guy named Mike Miller, <laughs> and I drove across to Tampa, Florida, to meet with Mike Miller and talk about my licensing process and all of that other stuff. And Mike Miller agreed to represent the company, but he said, "But I only work with." companies that are invested in the industry and I want you to join Fapio. And I said, being naive, I was like, well, I made a commitment to this guy. I have to, because he won't represent me if I don't. (laughs) So I did and uh, pretty quickly was put on the board. And then before I could turn around, I apparently I'd volunteered for an officer position and served as vice president for a few years and then president for several years. And um, about that time, I was appointed to the Board of Employee Leasing Companies in, in Florida by, yeah. uh, I think that was Governor Bush mm-hmm. the first time and Governor Chris the second time. And I spent about eight years on that. And that's about the time when my my tenure with Napio started. So I had to resign the Fapio board because there was a conflict because I was an appointee at the state level. Okay. However, it was not a conflict to be on the Napio board. So I ran for and was selected for the Napio board. Um, but I have always believed that if you're going to be involved in something, you need to get all the way involved. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand everything. I wanted to, that's why I volunteered for a lot of committees. Yeah. Um, I wanted to understand all of the issues. I want to understand them at a very deep level. Mm-hmm. And that was my mechanism for learning the PEO industry uh, by You know, it's funny because you kind of think, well, I'm going to go to all these seminars. I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to learn stuff. And that happens. Mm -hmm. But where you really learn stuff is by talking to people. And those relationships all revolved around FAPIO and NAPIO. So if I ran into something I'd never seen, I I had someone to call and I'd say, hey, I I don't know what to do with this. Have you seen it? What do you do? And that's how I learned the PEO industry by, by my involvement. So that um just reinforced my belief that this this that you've got to be completely engaged this is where we make our living this is our livelihood i'm not going to leave it to other people to do the legwork i have to be you know one of the people that's that's making sure that we have a, a, a um the ability to make a living you know to do what we do well you've done two tours on the board you were chair you know you're chair of our pack I think that you got chosen on a key meeting that you missed. You're put in charge of that, of the pack, I think was it. <laughs> yeah, I lost and the Now chair of our federal government affairs committee. So yeah, you've been really, really involved throughout all my entire time here. That, that's the thing. Um, okay, switching gears again. Um, yeah. Aviation. When did, when did your love of aviation begin? When did you get your license? Okay, so my love of aviation probably began, uh, you know, as long as I can remember, maybe mm-hmm. when I was four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my pilot's license at my, I started taking flying lessons my sophomore year in college, mm-hmm. I believe. And I must have gotten it my junior year because um, I definitely remember being late to intermediate accounting because I was flying in the morning <laughs> and I'd get to the class afterwards. And I was, so yes. Uh, and that's when I got my pilot's license, my uh, probably my junior year in college. 
Wow. And then uh, continue to present day. What uh, you sort of increased uh, your uh, qualifications and the, the changed aircraft and all that stuff up till today. So, uh, yeah, it's a big part of your life. So, yeah, so talk about that because obviously that's, that's yeah. you, know, you spend a lot of time doing it. I do. I probably way too much time. I, in fact, I probably have a much better company if I spend a little less time flying. But uh, <laughs> you know you, what you said is exactly correct. Um, one of my drivers has always been okay. I'm going to own an airplane and I'm going to fly it around, so I need to make enough money to be able to support that bad habit. <laughs> so, and by the way, I need some rational justification for you know for expending those kinds of dollars. So um, very early, like as soon as I get afford or justify it. Um, I bought into a partnership in an airplane with a couple of guys, and then I had partners for two more airplanes or so. And you're right. I just, the more I flew the airplane, I was, I was just building time, building time, building time. But I never saw any need for a commercial pilot license because um, I, I never had any thought of flying professionally. But over time, um, Kind of got to the point where I, I got my first jet. Um, I had a, a fair amount of time, um, total time. And I had all the qualifications for what's called an airline transport pilot license. And I said, well, I don't, in order to do that, I have to take two written exams. I have to take two check, or I have to do my commercial pilot license first, then my airline transport pilot. And there's two separate written exams, two separate check rides. But I figured, you know, the check ride's exactly the same check ride that I do every year on my jet. So if I just take the two written exams, then I my next check ride, I'll do two check rides instead of one, and bingo, I'll have my that's exactly what I did. And uh I got my ATP, uh, my newly minted ATP, and within a couple of weeks. Uh, somebody I knew very well called me and said, Hey, I need a, I need a co-pilot on a trip up to Pittsburgh. Are you available? I was like, sure. Why not? I'll go do that. And I fell in love with it. And I, and I've been doing professional flying ever since. How many hours do you have in by now? Do you know, total lifetime hours? You gotta keep track, I guess, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do. I, I haven't updated. I've got a bunch of papers sitting here on my desk that you can't see that are all the the flights from the last month that I haven't updated. But I'm going to guess I'm north of 3,800 hours. It's somewhere around somewhere around 3,800. Well, as one who's flown with you, I can say that you know I was I did open my eyes for part of the time. I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I only I only opened my eyes for part of the time too. So. <laughs> No, I have to say it's so funny is because, you know, I mean, our relationship is that we give it. So we, we just give one another crap all the time and, and we're always <laughs> joking. But but when you're flying, man, you're serious as a heart attack. And, you know, kind of walking <laughs> around the plane and, you know, when you're in the cockpit and, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know, we just, you know, I can still talk to you and stuff, but it really is something. It's impressive. It's that you are you instantly kind of inhabit this professional persona and, uh, you know, that made me feel better. Even with my air sickness bag, I felt fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got, a, I got a brand new question that I haven't asked anybody before. Uh, 
Who's your biggest influence other than me, of course, who's your biggest influence in the industry or in life hmm. is or was? Well, my dad most definitely is my biggest influence in life. Mm-hmm. Um, taught me a lot of great lessons when I was a kid, uh, either on purpose or by accident. But he really <laughs> did. Uh, yeah, really did. Um, he and my mom both did a great job. Mm-hmm. Others would argue, you know, that I'm the one who I screwed it up, but they did great. Um, professionally, I got to tell you, I've had so many mentors in this business that have just taken me under their wing and and helped me. But I'll tell you a couple of the people that I really looked up to: um, Carlos Rodriguez Sr. Mm-hmm. and of course, I'm very good friends with Carlos Jr. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, I. I I don't know if you remember Bud Knipe, but no. Bud. No, I, I was certainly by reputation, but I never knew him. Yeah, Bud was a good friend, great friend, great mentor, and then you know Mark Proberg. Yeah. I look up to immensely. I mean, the way I loved the way he was able to build consensus. Yeah, and I learned so much by watching how he worked a room. Yeah. Uh, when you have a bunch of, you know, people with different opinions and then getting boiling it down to 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 a meaningful and actionable um, uh, result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and plus, he was just a very smart, really good guy. I enjoyed I enjoyed him uh, very much as well. Yeah. I taught him everything he knows and he's still relatively ungrateful. But yeah, I know he, he actually says that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't talked to him in a, in a little while, and I plan to call. But when I do, it's going to be. I'm going to make sure to say. By the way, Pat says, you know, yeah. he taught you everything you know, and and you, you're a little bit ungrateful about it. In his private moments, I think he'd have to. He'd have to admit <laughs> that. Be true. How many scotches in would that be? By the way, <laughs> I'd give it a couple. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so, uh, uh, what's your advice for somebody new to the industry? You know, you're just surrounded by great people. Get to know them, learn from them, and and if you if <laughs> don't ever give up, mm-hmm. and you know, just make sure that you get you invest yourself in the place that you've decided to make your living. Mm-hmm. If this is the business you want to be in, then be in it a hundred percent, and and you know, give back to the community. And learn from the, the people because if you're a sponge, they will absolutely help you. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. That really is great advice. So I always ask last, what's something we don't know about you? But I'm going to kind of tee it up. I'll still give you a chance to answer that question. But there's a very special uh, charity that you're involved in that involves your airplane. So tell us about that. Well, there first. There's the Veteran Airlift Command, which um, I do uh, trips for wounded vets and their families um, to either. Um, uh, they're called Compassion Flights, which are to some event that's usually catering to um, to vets or for medical services. Um, and another uh, another passion of mine is um, uh, disabled kids. So I've done uh, a lot of flying for two organizations called Vital Flight and Challenge Air. Um, and uh, those are just a couple of the charities that I, those are the two primary, three primaries that I fly for. How'd you get involved in those? The veterans and the children. How'd you get involved? Um, I started out doing angel flights. Mm-hmm. And um, because I was in angel flight, people knew me. 
mm-hmm. and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? I mm-hmm. said, yeah, I'd love to. I came out and I was just so impressed with the way they put on the organizations. And then when you do it, yeah. you you just the people that you meet are just so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then a buddy of mine in the air that was in the Air Force at the time said, hey, you do these angel flights. You know, there's a military version just started. It's like less than a year old. Mm-hmm. And um, and he introduced me to the veteran airlift. And I called the guy who founded it and we hit it off great. And I said, hey, I, I, let me do a couple of trips for you. Let me see how it goes. And and again, you just meet some of the most amazing, fascinating, wonderful, dedicated people. And, you know, once you start, it's uh, it's it's impossible to stop doing it. It's uh, that's the kind of thing that I'll, I'll spend a month coming down off of the high that yeah. I get from doing a trip like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, again, uh, you know, I always wanted to have uh, pictures of our members on the cover of our magazine, and just when and it took me ten years to make that happen. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I always had in my mind's eye a picture of you standing in front of your airplane, and so we finally got it. I think last year, the year before, so we, we finally got it, which was, was yeah. Great. And now it's sitting in my conference room. Oh, that's great. That's good. Chris Cheney went along with you on one of the veterans' flights, which was terrific. It's just so important um and it's just it's so great that, that, that you do it so okay I so it. now that i got that out of the way what uh what's something people don't know about you this is gonna be something I, I really struggled with this because you know i'm a kind of an open book i'm not yeah. really that interesting you know everybody knows everything there is to know yeah. but i thought about it and i thought well this might be remotely interesting so when i was in high school my dad had retired, but he bought an orange Julius and I worked my second or third job. He made me quit my job at the Gap to come work at the orange Julius in Ingram Park Mall in San Antonio. And he was running a promotion for one of the new you know, drinks that they were doing. And I stood out in the mall in a tux and white gloves serving people like many, many servings of these drinks for, you know, a few days. <laughs> and and what did you learn from that? Humility. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that just because dad says you're, you're just a normal employee, just like anybody else, that's not true. Normal employees were not going on Thanksgiving to fill ice in the bins. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's the that's the truth. Uh, wow. Well, I, that that falls into the category. Geez, you think you know a guy, right? I didn't know about the Orange Julius like you. Yeah. I, I knew about the you know the high school rock band, right? We knew yes. about that, but uh, yeah, didn't know about the Orange Julius. So I'll never look at you the same again. That's that's the thing. It's very sad. You will picture me in a tux with white gloves from here I, for here <laughs> here ever <laughs> after. <laughs> Uh, Abram Finkelstein of Stafflink Outsourcing, a prestige company, a prestige PEO company, a prestige PEO company. I got it right that time. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. This is just great. And, uh, you're a pal, but you know, I always find out things, uh, along the way that I, that I didn't know when I started today was no exception. So, uh, that's great. So, uh, thanks so much for being with us today, pal. Thank you, Pat. And, uh, you know, just great to get to talk to you. And and what can I tell you, man? I'm an onion. Just got to peel the layers. (laughs) Thank you so much. Great. Talk to you soon.